So this morning we are starting a, a series that we are calling Brave, Facing the Giants in Me, because uh, the truth of the matter is that um, the greatest obstacles that often keep us from saying yes to the mission and saying yes to the adventures that God calls us into are not obstacles out there somewhere. They are often obstacles within. And uh, so in this series, we wanted to kind of tackle some of these obstacles within us that tower over us like giants, often bullying and intimidating us away from stepping into the places God is calling us into. And uh, for us as a church, we have too much at stake. Uh, there are too many kids in Haiti that he's calling us to reach. There are too many hurting folks in our own county he's calling us to reach for us to allow uh, giant obstacles to keep us from saying yes to him. And this morning, we want to start by uh, talking a little bit about the giant of all giants, that ancient, bullying, intimidating giant of Fear. Fear. Because if we're honest, many of us would tell stories of the ways in which we've been bullied and intimidated away from things we know God is calling us to because of fear. If we're honest, many of us will talk about ways that we have not taken steps that we know God is calling us to take because of fear. Not something out there so much as ultimately something within. And so we want to take some time this morning and just talk a little bit about this ancient foe, this ancient giant called fear. Now, we're not going to solve uh, the issue of fear today, but our hope is that we'll at least start to take steps towards experiencing victory in the areas in which fear may be owning us a little bit. And uh, the good news is that we know that victory over fear is entirely possible. And we know that because of the words of Jesus. These, for instance, in Mark chapter 5, verse 36, in which Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. And this, by the way, is just one sample of the many times that we are commanded in Scripture not to be afraid. In fact, the command that is repeated more than any other command in Scripture is this command. Do not be afraid. Over 360 times, in some form or fashion, we are called not to be afraid. And I love that because here's the thing. God is not going to command us to do something he doesn't intend for us to experience. If God says 360 odd times, do not be afraid, I believe that is because he intends for us to live in a way that is not bullied by fear. It's because victory over fear is, in fact, possible. Um, and I'm just here to announce to you that if you are sipping oxygen this morning, fear has not yet won. It may have taken a few rounds, it may have bruised you a little bit, it may have bullied you off course a little bit, but it has not ultimately won. The fact that you're sitting here this morning means you have a fresh opportunity to start to choose to say yes 
to what God is calling you to. You have a fresh opportunity to start to take steps towards experiencing victory over fear. Um, fear. Um, they are a lot of uh, layers and philosophical aspects to fear, but simply put, uh, fear is our internal response to a perceived threat. It's our internal response to a perceived threat. When we believe that something threatens to bring us hurt or to bring us harm, that instinctive internal response is called fear. Have you ever experienced it? Okay, so I'm going to preach to the one person over here who has experienced fear. We'll, we'll be in it together uh, for the long haul here. Um, I want to just make a few observations about fear. And if you're new at a mission point, please believe me when I tell you that our weeks are typically not as teachy as this is going to feel. Um, but I want to make a number of observations about fear because here's the thing. It is very difficult to combat a giant if you don't understand it. It's very difficult for us to start to take steps towards experiencing victory over fear. Fear if, if we don't necessarily understand fear. And so we want to just kind of take a little bit of time uh, to, to talk about the anatomy of fear by making observations which to most of us will be obvious, but it will at least bring us on the same page as we seek to move forward. Um, so a few observations. First, I want to make an observation about the fear setting. The fear setting. Because I don't know if you knew this, but um, if you are a human being, and high confidence that most of us in the room are, um, fear is a part of your default factory settings. I don't know if you knew that. God armed you with the fear instinct. He hardwired the human experience to include Fear, it is part of our design as human beings. God created you with the fear instinct. And by the way, if you haven't thanked him for fear recently, I would suggest that at some point today you thank him for fear. Because it's why you're still alive. You may not realize God in his wisdom gave you the, the, the fear instinct, but the fear instinct is a safety and a survival mechanism that alerts us to danger when it's in our proximity. It's how we recognize and respond to danger. Fear is God's app that he installed in us to warn us of danger. Therefore, to fear is human. And for some of us, that may be all we need to hear this morning because for years and years and years, we've felt incredible shame or we've denied it or we've tried to get to this echelon of living the human life where I no longer experience fear. Fear is a factory setting that God installed in you for your 
benefit. I want to make an observation about fear sources. Um, because even though the fear setting is common in all of us, we are all wired to experience fear. The setting may be common, but the sources of fear may vary. And all I mean by that is just because something freaks you out doesn't mean that same thing freaks me out. Just because something freaks me out doesn't mean it necessarily freaks you out. What triggers fear in me may not necessarily trigger fear in you, but I assure you something triggers fear in you. It may not be the same thing that triggers fear in me. For instance, snakes. No, Lord. I am terrified of snakes. I'm just going to admit it. I am scared to death of those suckers. Um, I experience bladder control issues. It is not cute at all. And yet I have friends and family members who feed snakes live animals in order to keep them alive. Just no to that. They are obviously not scared by the same thing I am scared of, cat hair. I just know it's poisonous. The research hasn't caught up yet, but it's just, it's wrong. And some of you are like, meow, meow. Like, I don't understand this. Um, it's gross, and you know I'm right. Um, I am terrified of being ordinary. I am scared to death that I'm going to live my life and I'm going to somehow just be ordinary. My wife, on the other hand, she's like, can we please just blend in and do nothing to stand out and live an ordinary life? I'm scared of you right now, and she is, you know, scared of me as well. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, I can say that because she's not sitting in the room, she's scared of human beings in general. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm not scared of human beings because I'm brave. Um, <laughs> but for some of us, we're scared of a health crisis. Lord forbid a pimple emerges somewhere. And uh, we're on WebMD doing the full gamut of research. Um, some of us are scared of flying, understandably, because a metal tube is hurling through the air thousands of feet above the ground. I get that one. And, um, but we're scared of a variety of different things will stir fear in us. For some of us, it's change scares us. For some of us, it's talking to girls. That just freaks us <laughs> out. Uh, for some of us, it's social perception. We are frozen by what people might think about us. In fact, you sit in this room and you try and worship and you are convinced everybody's attention is on you. It's not. But you are terrified of this reality. For some of us, it's singleness. For some of us, it's marriage. For some of us, it's betrayal again. All I'm trying to say to you is in all of us, there is the fear setting, but the fear sources may be different. What scares you, sets you off, may not be the same thing that scares me. But we all have a source of fear. I want to say something, uh, observation about fear symptoms. Um, 
We all experience fear, and you're going to hear me say this over and over again, because for some of us, we will not be able to experience victory over fear until we acknowledge it is a giant that we all face. Um, we may all experience fear, but the symptoms that arise in us may differ. Uh, so when we sense fear or we become aware of threat, for some of us, um, man, our heart may start to race a little more rapidly. Uh, for some of us, we may start to perspire. We may start to sweat, you know, in places, some, you know, less pleasant than others. Uh, for some of us, the mouth becomes dry or breathing becomes labored or we find ourselves suddenly emotional, whether experiencing rage or experiencing immense sadness. Uh, some of us may experience nausea when we're afraid. Some of us will just stiffen up. The muscles will freeze. Some of us will experience this rush of adrenaline. Um, some of us may feel disoriented. Some of us may feel confused. But the point is when we start to to experience fear, we start to experience certain symptoms, and for different ones of us, those symptoms may be different. It's fear's way of announcing itself, which leads me to another observation about the fear setup. The fear setup, because I don't know if you knew this, but God is so wise in the way he wired us, and that when I start to experience the symptoms of fear, and I start to freak out, and I start to sweat, you know, I start to breathe rapidly, that's not random. It's usually because my body is now setting up. I'm experiencing a setup. I am being set up to protect myself from whatever the danger I perceive happens to be. God is so wise in the way he wired us. So these symptoms are getting me ready to, to protect myself. They're setting me up to respond in one of three ways typically. It's either setting me up to fight. It's setting me up to flight. Or it's setting me up to freeze. And that's why you hear people talk about fight or flight, or fight or flight or freeze. It's these symptoms are setting me to protect myself. My muscles aren't just tensing up for nothing. My heart rate isn't increasing. Adrenaline isn't being pumped into my body for no reason. It is setting me up so that I can do something to protect myself. And sometimes it's I'm going to stand up and I, I, I'm going to fight. I'm going to combat the issue or whatever the issue might be. I might take a swing, you know, um, I may do something to combat whatever is attacking me. At other times it's like, nope, I'm going to run like crazy because not today. And at other times, I'm just going to freeze up. Um, just amazing how God wired us. And um, by the way, if you find yourself fighting with people, um, and fighting is not necessarily that you start, you know, throwing blows necessarily. No, fight mode can simply mean that I just instinctively, I start to lie. When I feel scared, I start to lie, or I start to defend myself, or I start to accuse other people, or maybe I'll take a swing, or I just go and check to make sure my permit is still valid, because I'm about to fight because I'm afraid. 
um, or I just fly off the handle. It's really interesting. If you find yourself in this constantly combative posture, you may want to check what it is you are actually afraid of. Uh, this is why, by the way, um, if I run into somebody who is just always raging, just temper, raw, flying off the handle, it's not so much that they have an anger issue, it's that they're fighting, they are afraid of something. And I'm curious to know, what are you so afraid of that always has you so angry? Because that's what a bear does. When it gets in the posture to protect itself and it starts to fight. I'm just trying to tell you, if you're a fighter and you're constantly in drama, you may be afraid of something. Uh, and for some of us, it's more the, the, the flight thing. We, we start to feel fear and we skip town, man. And it's like, you've moved ten times in the last four years. What's going on? Well, you know, we just like adventure. You may be running, you know. Or you start to feel fear and you break up. I don't know where this is going. This may be going in the direction the other thing went, so I'm going to just break up with you before you break up with me. And I, I'm out! Or, or you run by unfriending people. And it's like, man, you've moved friend groups quite a lot in the last few years. Yeah, I'm running because I'm scared, right? But we're not typically going to identify the source as fear, but if we start to see these things, and for some of us, we freeze, you know, we cry or we, we beg um, or we bargain or we just keep, quit trying. It's like, why won't you try? You know, I just don't care. Okay. Uh, so you are scared of something. But there's something about um, fear that's going to typically set us up to fight, to flight, or to, to freeze. And so when you find yourself fighting or flighting, or freezing, it may alert you to the fact that fear may be stirring somewhere. Um, and, uh, okay, one last quick observation. Uh, I want to talk about the fear scale. Um, the fear scale. Uh, because some of us hear the word fear and we immediately say, I ain't afraid of nothing. Ha! <laughs> But this is good for other people who experience fear, but I do not fear anything. So dumb. Um, no, we all experience fear. But I think it's worth noting that we all experience fear about different things, and I think we experience fear at different levels on a scale. Um, and, and the scale to me, I, I think it looks something like this. At the, at the beginning, I, I would put uh, unconscious fear. Um, unconscious fear. Um, this is where I am afraid, but I don't even feel it. I, I'm not aware of it. I'm not experiencing any pronounced symptoms of fear. If you ask me, are you afraid? I'll be like, Psh. No, I don't feel fear. And yet, at the unconscious stage, which I believe is one of the most dangerous stages of fear, but at this stage of fear, fear is powerful and fear is present and fear is calling the shots in ways I'm not even aware of. What do you mean, Condor? Let me give you an example. Failure. 
You did not wake up this morning and say, Ooh, I'm sweating, girl. I'm so scared of failure. Right? You don't typically feel the fear of failure. That's not something you feel, but woo, it is real and it is driving the decisions that you're making in ways you don't even realize, a fear of rejection. You don't typically walk around trembling in a fear of rejection. No, that's an unconscious fear. It lingers beneath the surface. My fear of being ordinary, I had to do some digging. Because I started to see things I was running from on a constant basis and things I was fighting against and I had to work backwards. What am I so scared of? Why do I hold people like this? Why am I so scared of disappointing people? Why am I so whatever? Ah, I'm terrified that I will be ordinary and I'll be a disappointment to people. I venture to say it is actually the unconscious fear that is the most powerful fear. But we don't feel it. And so it gets to kind of have its way beneath the surface. But I think it moves to what I would call uneasy fear. Uneasy fear. Now, this is where we may start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And these are the words that Christians love. And the reason we love words like this is because they're not incriminating to us. It's kind of like asking a Christian, like a good, solid Christian, like, hey, are you angry? Mm-mm. I'm frustrated. Praise Jesus. Like, oh, frustrated, you godly chap. Um, no, you're mad. You're mad, man. Um, but uneasy is when we start, we like words like that. It's because, well, no, I'm not really scared. I'm just uncomfortable. But there is, I think, a certain level where fear um, is just, it's, it's, it's uneasy. It's, if you ask me, I probably wouldn't use the word afraid yet, but something doesn't look right about that situation. I don't like how she's staring aggressively. My mother just used my middle name. I'm uneasy. You know, the boss just called me in to her office for a meeting. She doesn't call me anything appropriate, right? And so it's like this is making me a little bit on the uneasy side. Um, I'm not yet feeling full-fledged fear, and therefore... I'm not necessarily going to take a different course of action. I'm still going to do the things I plan to do. I'm still going to follow through. I'm still going to shop. I'm still going to go to work. I'm still going to say, yes, mom. But I'm feeling a little uneasy. And then I think it moves to scared fear. Um, This is typically when we would call it fear. Now the threat is active. It's not just perceived. It's not imagined. Nope. Someone told me what they would do the next time they saw me. And there they are, right? Like, nope, that is turbulence. That is definitely turbulence. And the flight attendant looks super nervous about the situation. Uh, And you start to experience the symptoms. Whatever your favorite go-to symptoms are typically start to emerge at this particular point. And um, now you feel compelled to protect yourself. This is where you typically actively make decisions to fight or to flee or to freeze in some way or another. But this is where we typically engage fear. 
for most of us. And then I think it moves to dread fear. Now I'm beyond just being afraid. I'm resigning to the worst case scenario. I am bracing for impact. This is the point at which I'm like, it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do. And I am just not fighting. I'm not fleeing. I'm just freezing. Like this is, we're done, man. It's over. It's amazing to see a spirit of dread start to take over this nation. Like, it's over, man. It's just... Um, and this freezes us. And then I think it, it moves to what I would call phobic fear. This is when the feeling of fear becomes irrational. This is when the feeling of fear starts to live in me. I experience intense fear even in the absence of immediate, in absence of an immediate um, threat, terrified of things on a constant basis, even though there's no real grounds to continue to feel the fear. And for some of us, and I hope we'll talk about some of this in the weeks come, for some of us, it's, it can be trauma-related. It's something that happened, but its effects continue to trigger in me. And now I see it everywhere. I believe it everywhere. I'm terrified of heights. I don't know if I confessed this earlier. No, I didn't, because I wasn't going to confess too many things I'm afraid of. But um, I don't typically feel afraid of heights when I'm sitting at my house on my couch. I feel afraid of heights when I'm in a high place. Greetings to you, balcony dwellers. I am never coming up there. Um, but God bless you all. Um, but when I start to fear heights and I'm sitting on my couch, when I start to fear things that are not even there and I start to live with this, almost this constant dread that is irrational, it may have moved to a phobic fear. Um, here's all I'm trying to get us to see. Fear is natural. In fact, fear is helpful. It's a safety and survival mechanism. We may experience it differently over different things to different degrees with different symptoms, and we may respond differently, but we all experience fear. To fear is human. Um, listen, there is no brand or level of humanity you will ever arrive at where you do not experience fear. And I'm telling you, I believe the Spirit is going to bring freedom to some folks in here by just pausing and saying, I've lived with shame because I'm a man and apparently I'm not supposed to feel afraid. You are supposed to feel afraid. There is this thing that we often talk about called fearlessness. Technically speaking, there is no such thing as a fearless person. A fearless person is also known as a dead person. <laughs> Just dead. Because he didn't know not to poke a bear, right? He didn't know not to move towards a rattling sound on the Arizona trails, right? This person didn't know not to ask a woman her age. And so this person is dead. <laughs> dead. I'm just saying, this whole fearlessness thing, I think, has often caused us to lose the battle to fear because we're so busy denying that we experience the phenomenon of fear. You may be an adrenaline junkie. Good for you. All that tells me is you are unconsciously scared of boredom. It's still fear. You may be a daredevil, congratulations. 
All that tells me is that you are afraid of feeling afraid. And so you continue to push yourself. No, no, no. I'm not going to feel this fear, and so I'm going to continue to do things that defy fear. But fear is our reality. Okay, wait. So why then, good question, would God say 365 times, do not be afraid? If fear is God-given, why does God still tell us not to be afraid? And I think this is huge for us as we start to take steps towards victory over fear. God does not say, do not feel afraid. God says, do not let fear own you. He doesn't say do not experience fear. That's not what he means. He is saying do not let fear drive and dictate your decisions. Ultimately, do not let fear be what drives and dictates your decisions. Do not let fear become the fuel behind your decisions. You were designed to feel fear. You were not designed to be led by fear. And if there's an area in your life where fear is driving or fear is dictating and that's how you're making decisions, it's into that area that God would speak and say, do not be afraid, that giant must fall. Okay, how do I know? that I'm being owned by fear. Well, here, let me relieve some of your fears um, that we maybe don't use the Bible here at Mission Point. So um, there's a story in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 13, and it goes into Numbers chapter 14. We're going to just make a few observations before we wrap. Um, again, context for this story, the Israelites have been um, enslaved in, in Egypt for 400 years, and God miraculously pulls them out of slavery. But it doesn't just pull them out of slavery. He promises them a land. He promises them th this place called Canaan that's going to be theirs, and they're going to finally have a place to call home. And from that place, they are going to magnify the glory of God to all of the earth. Um, in the meantime, they're trekking through the wilderness, making their way to this glorious promised land, this land God promised, and grandparents have, have told the grandkids how amazing this place ultimately is, flowing with milk and honey. And um, when we join the story, they, they're camped 11 days away from this land of promise, this land of purpose. And Moses, their leader, has tapped 12 guys um, on the shoulder and has told them, go 11 days ahead into the promised land, sneak in there and gather some intel, come back and tell us what it is we're facing. Because it's our land, but there's still some people living there and there's still a fight ahead of us. So bring back some intel. And what we read here is a report, um, Numbers 13, verse 27. It says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. God was so right. Here is its fruit. And a couple of guys are carrying like a cluster of grapes on a pole. It's pretty incredible. Verse 28, but the people 
The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Jump down to verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We know we are owned by fear when fear outsizes our father. We know we are owned by fear. The descendants of Anak were giants. They, they were thought to have been the result of women sleeping with angels, and then there was this race of massive human beings. So yeah, there's your promised land, but there are giants um, over there in the land. And all 12 spies agree that everything God said about this place is true. Everything God promised is real. God is good, but the giants are greater. That was the declaration of the 10 spies that started to spread throughout the entire land. God is good, but the giants are greater. When fear becomes bigger than your father in the story of your life, you know it is starting to or it is already owning you. And God was mad. And you can understand why. It's like, I split a sea. Y'all walked on dry ground. I'm the God who can make bread, carbs fall from the sky. And you run into giants and you have decided these giants are greater than our God. He was furious and in fact, as a result, he said, you will not enter the promise. I wonder what fear in your life has become bigger than God in your life and how many promises you're missing out on because of that fear. Give generously to help people like those in Haiti. Ah, oh, yeah, but the economy. But our, our, our financial situation, you understand God. Forgive. Yeah, I hear you, God, and everything you say is good, but the giant of being taken advantage of again is greater. Fear starts to own. Love the stranger, and breakthrough will come. Yeah, we hear you tell us to love the vulnerable stranger, but what if the vulnerable stranger becomes a means through which we become put in danger? See, we can't do that now because the potential danger over what our Father has said, fear starts to own us. Share the gospel. Yeah, God, you are good, but the possibility of rejection is a little bit greater. What promises are you not possessing because of fear and the way it's outsized your father? Uh, chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses because now the report has spread. And the whole assembly said to them, if we had only died in Egypt, 
or in the wilderness? Why is the Lord, <laughs> oh man, why is the Lord that dread starting to set in? Phobia is starting to set in. We're becoming a little irrational now. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? You know fear is owning you when it overtakes your faith. They start believing a future painted by fear instead of a future painted by faith. And I'm telling you, as you live right now, your future is either painted by fear or it's painted by faith. And they are freaking out over future possibilities that haven't happened, that they haven't seen. And all of a sudden, their fear becomes their faith, the, 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 the hope in things unseen. And it becomes a reality that's painting the way they are looking at the future. Worst case scenario becomes the thing they believe in the most. They're all going to die. And I'm telling you, it's scary to see the way that's starting to happen in our church in this country. Like where our futures are being painted by reports about this could happen and this might happen and that might happen. And all of a sudden, our faith starts to dwindle and we start to freak out. But what if that outcome is true? And I always want to ask, according to whose report? Which news channel are you reading your future through? And that's what they start to do. And they start to freak out and they start to panic. They have faith, but it's in the version of the future that fear has painted. And they start to live in light of that. When you let fear paint your future, all of a sudden... Um, parents start to speak over our kids' fearful futures when fear starts to take over faith. Then you're going to get pregnant, and then you're going to be on drugs, and then you're going to be in jail, and it's all going to lead to the unpardonable sin of dancing. And, and we can't, we can't. And so you start to build these walls, and you start to build these rules to protect your kids from an imagined future that you read in the headlines somewhere, and you cease to speak over them the words God has said about who they are in him and what he says he wants to do in your family. And all of a sudden, it becomes a narrative of fear, and we live to protect our kids from possibilities. In the media's reports, or what happened to you, or what happened to somebody else that you heard about. And all of a sudden, spouses start to speak dread over their futures. We should never have gotten married. This marriage will never get better again. And we're going to be divorced, and our kids are going to be farmed to this place and to that place. And all of a sudden, your future has now been painted by a report of something that hasn't even Happened. I'm never going to be loved. Um, the economy is going to crash. And that naturally leads them to abandon their very promises in favor of the past. When fear opts for the familiar. And for many of us, I wonder if that's not our story. Numbers 14 verse 4, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What? 
no, 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 you know, I mean, this loneliness is starting to get so scary, I should go back to that dysfunctional relationship because the familiar pain is better th than the unknown you know, future or the scary possibilities that could happen. And for some of us, we live where we live because it's safer than going to the places we know the Lord has been stirring us to go. And for some of us, we work where we work in an unsatisfied present because we've read the statistics about how many startup businesses fail. And so you're not about to move in that direction. And you're not about to move towards that relationship because, you know, no, no, I'm going to go back to what's safe. And we've stayed in our little circle. And fear is winning, bullying us away from the adventure and the mission God is calling us. Some of us vote the way we vote because it's familiar. And fear opts for the familiar we know we have become owned. When God says do not be afraid, he's not saying do not feel fear. He's saying do not let fear become the force that moves you. Do not be, let it become the lens through which you're looking at your future. Do, do not let it become something bigger than who I am to you. And I love the way this section of the story wraps up. Verse 5, Numbers 14. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were there among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, this is awesome. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to be surrounded by people like this, by the way, and Lord, help me to be a person like this. God will give it to us. He will do what he said. And then verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Listen, if you want to start taking steps towards victory over fear, you've got to ask two questions that I believe Joshua and Caleb asked. Question number one. This is a huge question. What did God say? No, 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 I know what you feel right now. I know the symptoms you're experiencing, and fear is part of his design. But ultimately, the question isn't, what do I feel? The question isn't, what do the headlines say? The, the question isn't, what are the worst-case scenarios that could come about? The question is, what did God say? Because if God said it, he will do it. Only stand on his promise. We are all always choosing which report we are reading. And for some of us, we read so much Fox News and so much CNN. And that becomes the fuel for our faith. And we're surprised that fear is all that emerges. I don't know about you, but I want to be the person who is fueling my faith on the words of God so that I can call on his truth and answer the question, but what did God say about my kids? What did God say about my enemy? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Yeah, you may struggle, but all things are being worked together for the good of those who love me. Yeah, the economy may crash, but I will supply every single one of your needs according to my riches in Jesus Christ. What did God say? 
One of the most powerful antidotes to fear is to ask the question, what does God promise? In church, we have to be those who are getting into these connection groups and we're getting to know his word. Because faith feeds on God's word. If you're more in the headlines than you are in his word, don't be surprised if what comes out is fueled by fear instead of furthered by faith. The second question, powerful question, is where is God now? I love what Joshua and Caleb say. We will win. Do not be afraid. Reason number one, why? Because our God is with us. God is with us. When my daughter is in Haiti and we don't know how she's doing in the midst of all of this, I have to ask the question, where is God now? Our God is with us and our God is with her. There is something profoundly powerful about believing the promise of Jesus who said, as you step into the things I've called you into, know I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The giant slayer is constantly our companion. You are always going to choose whose presence you look at the most. And I'm either going to look at all of the things around me or I'm going to fix my gaze. Where, where are you? Yes, you are still with me, God. And may that truth be the truth that feeds my faith. Team, you guys can come on out. Somebody stop me. Um, and even, I'm telling you, even here in a moment, as many of us take communion to just wrap this morning, I pray you would take communion a little differently, with a little victory. You are drinking in victory. I'll tell you why. <laughs> because on the cross, Jesus defeated everything we had to fear. He defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and then he rose from the grave to bring about every promise he ever made. And it became yes and became amen in the person of Jesus Christ. Communion is a reminder that Jesus has won. His blood has conquered. His resurrection towers above every other. He is the giant slayer who is by our side. You may never have eaten communion like this, y'all. So I pray that this gluten-free little wafer situation will fuel your faith. And man, we will carb load for the fight against fear together. Jesus ultimately wins. Amen? Amen.